This special edition of Shootcast is brought to you by Modus Operandi Brewing. Based in Marnavale City's Northern Beaches, one of Australia's best craft brewers. Be sure to check the guys out online or why not visit the brewery. Also, Modus have just unveiled some fantastic looking cans of beer. The Derby edition. they got one for the Ringarats and one for the Manly Marlins. Make sure you get your hands on this limited merchandise. They'll be for sale at the game on Saturday. Also, Bayfield's Liquor are participating in that sale. Some fantastic stuff for Modus. That's what we're here for. 50 years of the Derby. Can't wait to get into this one. So much to talk about. Blood, sweat and tears of 50 years of Manly and Ringer. My personal affiliation with the Derby uh, stretches back all the way to 1971 when my father was a um, skipper of the Manly Football Club in the first ever match against the Ringer Rats, something he was very proud of and certainly ingrained in us how important the Derby was uh, into our later years, into grade football. So uh, I know there are so many eager Rats fans, so many eager Marlin fans that are keen to learn a little bit about the history and what it means to the Peninsula. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Shootcast. Manly, as the saying goes, seven miles from Sydney and a thousand miles from Care. Life was pretty simple in this sleepy seaside town. The men of the area would enjoy the delights of the surf, a cold beer at Harry's Gym at the Stain Hotel, and they'd play rugby for the Manly Rugby Football Club at Manly Oval, the Village Green. By the 60s, though, there was trouble around the rugby club. Murmurs of a breakaway by a group of players not so happy with how they'd been graded and the general direction of the club thought it might be time to establish a new foothold further north on the peninsula. And so it was the formation of the Ringer Rats. It was a very controversial time. And you really have to go back to those days to get an understanding of what really happened and how it was perceived by those at the Manly Club. To do so, I sat down with former player, coach and administrator, Robert Moose Lane. Moose is a bit of a local legend, a graduate of Manly High. Like so many from the peninsula, he found his first love in the surf. Moose was one of the original Bower boys, surfing the reef breaks off Shelley Beach. Amazingly, he also finished third in the inaugural Australian Surfing Championships behind legends Nat Young and Mick Dooley. But his passion for surfing was also matched with his passion for the Manly Football Club, and he recalls those controversial days. There was a lot of um, disappointed players who didn't get selected or graded at Manly or didn't make the grades that they thought they should be in. Mm. So uh, there was a bit of disenchantment with the club. Yeah. Do you remember those days quite vividly? Uh, yes, I do. Because yep. I played with St Matthews, it was the strongest club in Manly. And Billy Simpson was the coach who had a big influence on our lives, our, our rugby lives. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I do remember. And uh, Billy, Billy uh, was a Randwick disciple. Yep. And he wanted running rugby, and that was another reason they wanted to go and form another club, mm. so they could play running rugby. Mm. And, and you were telling me some of the some of the early things you remember. Even it was the colour of the jersey. Why why they pick green? Well, I'm not certain about this because it's a long, long time ago. Yeah. But St Matthews Junior Rugby. Yep. Uh, club was the green. Yep. And also Bill Simpson. Yep. Was a bit of a disciple of the running Ram- 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 style. Yeah. 
and they were green as well. So. Yeah. Was there any early resentment from the outset that there was a breakaway? Oh, there was. Well, I always used to say in jest of blokes like Simo and, and Ellie Bennett and some of the guys I played with at Manly, I went out to to the Rats that that it, that it was that the Ringo was born in the bosom of hatred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, that, and obviously that was the that was the way it started, really, didn't it? In terms of uh, the deep hatred early on, which has probably mellowed out a little bit now, but it was certainly oh, yeah. a, a controversial time, wasn't it? It was. It was, but. Uh, yeah, they developed a great spirit. What they some of the players may have lacked in ability, they made up with a great spirit, and they developed into a, which is now a wonderful club. Mm. When you first heard they were going to be called the Rats, did did it catch you off guard, or did you slowly learn why they why they picked the name? Well, I think I was coaching at the time, or just before I was coaching. But Doug Leslie, uh, father. I think he was, in fact, the rat of Tobruk. Mm. And he said that uh, Warringah exhibited the same spirit as the rats of Tobruk, and therefore they called them the green rats. Yeah. I wouldn't I'm... want to be called a green rat, though. <laughs> <laughs> Are you happy with the marlin change from the blues? Yeah, I was at the start with, but I think it's a great name. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it's interesting. Now, one of the, the biggest defections, obviously, and, and you come into this quite closely because you followed suit in terms of coaching at Manly, was uh, Tony Slaggy Miller uh, leaving the Manly club as a coach and heading up that way to do the same. That must have been a, an interesting time uh, on the peninsula. Well, it was, and I was part of it, but um, when Tony uh, stepped down from coaching, I, I got the job in 1977, mm. and... Um, it was interesting because he was an icon at the club, yep. and uh, he thought he had more in, more left in him as a coach. Mm. And I believe subsequently, when he went out to Warringah, um, his coaching uh, improved to the extent he had this great pack out there, yep. and he blossomed as a as a coach to, yep. at Warringah. Yeah, do you think? Um, obviously, Tony Miller was a, an icon at Manly Rugby, and. Uh, him moving north. Do you think that uh, tainted his legacy in any respect? Obviously, uh, in the sands of time, you'd probably say no, but but at the time, it was probably pretty bitter. Uh, I don't think it uh, tainted his legacy. I mean, he was one of the greats of Australian Rugby Union, but, um, yeah, we wondered why, mm. but he wanted to coach, and he lost, well, he lost his position, mm. and... Uh, decided, you know, I'll go and show you guys. Yeah. Coaching uh, Manly sides in the Derby, were they always sort of different to uh, to any other game throughout the season? Well, I'm sure Warringah thought so. Mm. I mean, Warringah used to fight to the death, mm. and and particularly in their earlier days, there'd be players that played three games, you know, or three part games, mm. and they just wouldn't give in. Mm. You know? So, But all we did, we played Warringah, we got two points if we won. And we got nothing if we lost. And it took us a while before we lost, too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've obviously got to see the rivalry um, over the years. And, uh, you know, you still get down to, to, to Manly and watch the games and obviously the Derby games. They're pretty special days for the community still, aren't Outstanding they? Outstanding days. Out at Warringah, yep. out at Manly. Great family days. Great rivalry. Um, I think there's a more camaraderie between the two clubs now. Mm. Uh, but they still, both clubs want to win. And just like that, a rivalry was born. And although the Rats had to battle through second division, they made it to the Premier grade and by 1971 had had their first match against the Manly side. Former Manly player and future ringer coach Greg Ma remembers those days. Like so many current players from the Marlins and the Rats, Greg was a graduate of St Augustine's College. 
Marsbar, as he's affectionately known at both clubs, remembers heading into the Manly Colts program in the late 70s. Quite funny because we had a coach and when I was at the first 15 at St Augustine's and his name was Frank Hughes who lived at Seaforth and he was a mate of Barry Taylor's. I think he must have played lower grades at Manly in his, in his career. So he brought Barry down to coach the first 15 or to help coach the first 15 at St Augustine's and basically we're all terrified of Barry or Tizza as he was known. Um, and at the end of the year, he told us we all had to go to Manly Colts, and I think we all went lock, stock and barrel, the whole lot of us. I don't think anyone went to Ringo that year, um, yeah. because we were too terrified of uh, upsetting Tizza. Uh, Greg, you're a part of a special Colts group that came through the club in the late 70s, probably the backbone of the 83 grand final side. It was, it was a good time for, for a good group for coming through the club, wasn't it? Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, we had some guys coming from Bally High, but um, most of the guys came down from St. Augustine's, the first 15. Um and because uh, we'd all played together, the Colts, you know, we, we sort of gelled together pretty quickly in Colts under, under Tizza Taylor. Um, had a good first season and then the second year we went through undefeated and um, won the competition. So it was a very good and a very strong Colts team. Uh, we had the Cox brothers and people like that that uh, were in the team. So that was obviously a huge help to us. Billy Calcraft went on to play for Australia as well. Rod Creera. So there's a really good sprinkling of uh, young players and that sort of went into grade a little couple of years later and, and I think that's ended up with um, a lot of them being in the 83 side. And when you started uh, out in grade, who, who were some of sort of the manly identities that taught you all about the rivalry from a young age? Oh, well, apart from your father, Bernie, obviously. Um, and then we had guys like uh, Jody Perdrio, uh, Jens Ward, Phil Spear, Dave Spear, um, you know, Manly Ogles, Tony Cox, absolute legend. Uh, all these guys were sort of been around for years and they, they knew a lot of the Ringer blokes. And um, so they, they took great pleasure in telling us that we've got to get these blokes because they were their mates. You know, it was quite funny. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, there were some really good people. Um, great guys, Wally Meeks and characters like that, Gary Flowers. Uh, there was, yeah, I can name just about everybody. There was just a great bunch of guys. We all went on tour together to Hawaii and to Europe. Um, it really bonded the club together, both on and off the field. So it was, mm. they were great years. Tell me quickly the story of Yen's Chickenhead Ward, mate. I know that's a derby classic. Yeah, well, look, it was, uh, it was you know, the usual going on and that sort of thing, and people were sort of getting into chicken a little bit, and there was a ruck, and Chicken thought he would see sight unseen, so he slipped into the ruck and, uh, from the wing, uh, slipped at a bloke in the back of the head, and then when the bloke sort of screamed and yelled and sort of looked up chicken had jumped the fence and grabbed a beer off one of the spectators and stood there like he'd been in the, the crowd for the game so it's very amusing <laughs> now you've coached um obviously played at manly and coached ring both sides in the first grade what are the difference yep. and similarities between the two clubs and and what's special about a derby game oh look i think basically the, the underlying characters and the, and the people are all, we're all from the northern beaches I mean, the, the odd import comes in of course but we're all, you know, most of the guys uh, love a beer, love to surf, um, and they, you know, they get on off the off the field. So there's not a lot of difference. There's different characters, to be fair. Um, yeah, I guess there's a, you could call it, there's a slight chip on the shoulder from Moringa because they were, they sort of manly spawn or offspring, if you like. They went out to Narrabeen, set up on the tip, mm. the old tip spot, um, which is now developed into probably, I reckon, the best stadium and uh, club stadium anyway in, uh, yep. in Sydney. Um and, um, you know, Manly have a village green, which is, um, you know, a great place to play. It's not the world's best place to, for spectators, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I, I just think that um, it, it's, they're very similar. Um, 
And it's because of that, it's like your next-door neighbours, sometimes your best mates and sometimes you're, you're having all these sorts of arguments. It's, there's not a lot of difference to it. Um, coaching them, it's very much the same as well. Um, the guys are good blokes. But, you know, they like to train hard, but they also love to party hard off the field. So it's um, similar characters. Manly was starving for a premiership. And with this new Colts group coming through the club, it saw an opportunity. Alan Jones was appointed in 1983, and the rest is history. They took down the Wallaby Laden Ramick, including the electric Ella Brothers. It was an amazing grand final and ended Ramick's five year unbeaten run at the top. And Ramick has got the strong feet. Is this Ramick's last chance? It's within field goal range two for Mark Ella. Well, both sides must be getting very tired now because the last 10 minutes has been very tired. It's been real non stop stuff. Ramick poised. Their pack's ready to go. There's the bell. The bell's gone. Mark Eller. Field goal. Right foot. It's out to the right. And is this the end for Ramwick? It's all over. And Manly has done it. They have ended Ramwick's unbeaten run of five straight premierships. And what a day for the Manly side. And their first season coach, Ellen Jones. Look at Steve Williams. They're going to cheer him off the field. Well done, Manly. They've thoroughly deserved this victory over the Premiers this afternoon. By the late 80s, the Rats had started to cement themselves as a no-nonsense football side with a fearsome forward pack, anchored by the likes of Steve Temple, Dave Pearl, Rick Black and Steve Lidbury. Coming through the ranks of that time was John Hearn. Who only remembers his first derby in typical fashion? Well, I remember my first game. It was my second game in grade, 1988. A young boy coming up and we played... I think Temple was injured, so we got thrown in pretty early into the game, uh, Manly and Ringer. So, yeah, it was uh, – I remember David Hooper gave me one on the back of the head, which was very nice of him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, they were always very competitive, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. You came into that um, Ringer forward pack um, after Slaggy Miller obviously tried to instill a lot of steel back in the Ringer game, which would probably become a bit of a hallmark of the club. Did you get a good grooming from those guys into uh, maybe the derby and, and just rugby in general in terms of uh, being a hard, hard man? Well, 100%. And, and the, unlike today, the good thing with when we were, when we were coming through the grades, that the older guys used to stay back and play around in the lower grades. So when you were young, Blake, mm. you, you know, you, we, I think when I first came in 88, we had uh, all down a fifth grade, every 10-second row had played first grade. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, you know, that... that the, I'm getting a guy who's 33, 34 and passing, but he's still happy to play third grade and fourth grade and show the young boys coming through. Is, is, and I think it was something we miss in uh, in the Wallabies as well. There's just, there's just no that – there's not that passing down of knowledge. When you when you sort of took on Manly as you came into uh, the side and first grade at Ringer, Ringer was really starting to uh, take shape. You made three grand finals uh, in the nineties, and obviously uh, disappointing in, in in respect that you did lose all three. But obviously Ringer a very strong side. But when you came to facing Manly in those years, uh, form guide probably went out the window, so to speak. Well, they always did. No, no matter how either team was going, they always and they're usually very close games. No matter if we were. If we were coming first and you guys last or vice versa in the bottom of the pack, they were always a very, very strong competitive game. Was the intensity and the hatred genuine, do you think? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, absolutely. Did it, um, did it, did it ever spill over the sidelines, mate, or it stayed on the pitch and uh, no, pretty, much, away? Pretty, much, pretty much stayed on the pitch there. Um, yeah. Well, and have it like the, the old days of punch a bloke in the head one minute and then go have a beer with him after the game. That's what it was all about. 
<laughs> and you, you obviously one of the uh, select few, actually only yourself and Sean Maloney that have actually captained both clubs. How would you, from your own perspective, sort of summarise um, the, the, maybe some of the stark differences between Manly and Ringer? You know what? I don't think there are a lot of differences. At the end of the day, we're all rugby people, anyway, isn't it? So mm-hmm. we're kind of like-minded from the beginning. But um, I think I think in the in the earlier days, I think Ringer might have had the, you know, when we first started, there was every bloke had a ute, and everyone was a tradesman out there, and I think that probably wasn't the case in Manly. I think they were probably more the up, the higher end of town, and we were, we were the mm-hmm. working class guys, I suppose. But I think that's changed obviously over the years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you got to uh, you got to uh, very entrenched the Manly community. Ended up building my house up in Manly. Well, I've got a lot of good friends in Manly. Did you look at that nineties uh, period as a, as a bit of an opportunity missed at Ringer? Obviously, you you played some incredibly strong sides in those years. Obviously, Ramwick uh, in their in their real strong strong seasons. Um, and then Manly would um, go on and win in ninety seven. Did that give you the shits a little bit? Well, as I said, I went over to play in Northampton in uh, after the grand final '96, and yeah. I don't think I don't think you guys had made the semis in the '90s. Yeah, exactly. So, so I said, "What happened? I turned me back for one year, and you let them You let them win. What happened there? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't overly happy. No. In the early '90s, the Rats had really cemented themselves at the top of the shoot shield. They'd made three grand finals, but couldn't get over the line. As Herney said, much to their disgust, the Marlins swanned into 1997 on the back of Willie Offengau in an all-star side to claim a premiership. In this classic Sean Maloney piece, he remembers that wonderful afternoon. 1997 was also the year Manly rolled eastward for the shoot shield in front of 26,000 punters at the SFS. Get there. She was a magic arvo in the sun for the Marlins. Check out this five-pointer to their flying Fijian. Then right on halftime, current Marlins coach Damien, the Turtle Cummins travelled six centimetres to make it 24-zip. The second 40 was all about this tackle from Willie O on Scotty Staniforth. More bucket hats and this try to the skipper, Rob Gallagher. What a ripper. Manly won 34-19 and Gals whipped on another bucket cap and raised the shoot shield. Shawnee, before you were calling the World Cup final, you were a little rat bag from Bowgala, mate, and kicking around um, in the junior rugby ranks and into the Colts. Uh, what are your, some of your earliest mem- memories of the, of the Derby, mate? Of the Derby? Oh, Burjo, I'd be going back way before I was even playing. So around the age of six, seven, the old man would drag us down to the Oval. Uh, we'd run around barefoot watching those Derby games, watching the likes of Stocks and Reber and Dave Reen, uh, Tony Nolan as well. So all these old school dudes. And they were sort of the first bunch of blokes that sort of got me into wanting to eventually play for the Marlins. So it goes a long, long way back. 
And you remember uh, going through junior footy and then obviously eventually into Colts and uh, how heated that role would become. Probably through your teenage years, you started to become a little bit more acutely aware of things. And it started to peak when we played against Warringah in that 1999 Colts grand final as well. So they had a really strong side. We obviously had a, uh, a fairly decent outfit as well. And there was so much baiting and carry on ahead of that uh, GF out at Concord. Like in the week leading up to it, we were hanging stuff off uh, that little overpass bridge up in Bagala on the run down to Spit Bridge, you know, having a crack at the rats, knowing that they'd be going on the way to work, going underneath it. So having shots here, there and everywhere. And then when we won the game, the shots continued in the aftermath as well. So, yeah, there was, there was always plenty of niggle in those early years, heaps of it actually. Well, you really ruined their day uh, in that grand final because they had all grades playing. And I think uh, you pipped them in the main game with obviously one George Smith uh, prominently at number seven. But it was a tight game despite uh, some of the illustrious uh, teammates you had. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually going through one of the old rugby news programs the other day and it was sort of up till the round 10 mark of that 99 season and I had our results all stacked up and it was like win by 40, win by 30, win by 60, win by however many. There was one in there against Gordon. I think we put 70 on Gordon. I can still remember that game so well. I remember we were awarded a scrum on the 22 and we scored a pushover try from the 22 at Chatswood Oval. So that gave you some idea as to how big and strong our four pack was. The backs were awesome. Uh, like Pete Playford we had in there, Jamie Coe, Wardy, uh, Marcus Rudd. It was a really strong team, so that it was that close in the end was a bit of a surprise, but it mattered not when we went on a three-day bender uh, after getting it done at Concord. <laughs> you played in so many derbies, and, and when you started getting into grade, you'd obviously had some, some mixed results. You, you also... Um, it also been on the end of a couple of shellackings from some all-star ringer sides. I remember one yeah. game down at uh, Manly Oval and maybe one game at Brookie where uh, an all-star... The Brookie rats... one, yeah. The Brookie one still sits, like really stands out in my mind. That was... That was just an absolute carver. We got destroyed that afternoon. I remember the Rats had, I think Manny Evans was at 10. Sammy Harris was definitely playing. Tree might have been in the mix. Cam Trelaw, like it was, Sheeno, I'm pretty sure, was back at the Rats by that stage. Like it was a, I actually don't even know how they didn't win the competition that year. But we got, I reckon they might have put 50 or 60 on us that afternoon. It was horrific. Mm -hmm. Mm. And obviously you're part of the furniture down at Manly and your family has been for many, many years. You did defect to Ringa. How did that conversation go uh, at home? Yeah, I actually retold this story to the great Adam Lucius the other day. It didn't go down well at all. Mm. Uh, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's put pen to paper around the chat as well. But that was a signature that I put down at the end of 05. So yeah, 06 was my year up at the Rats. And Christmas of 05, we're sort of sitting around the tree and Dad starts pulling all the presents out for my two younger brothers. So youngest brother gets like a brand new uh, cricket bat, MRF cricket bat, middle brother gets a skateboard and then he hands me a novelty sized Daryl Lee lollipop and I'm like what's this for and he just goes because suck and then that was that that was Christmas in 2005 at the Maloney household 
Oh dear. Anyway, that's the first F bomb for a while, but that's outstanding, mate. But more importantly, what was the reception like at training at uh, Ring? There must have been a few raised eyebrows from the uh, boisterous young second rower from the south joining the ranks up there. You know what? The thing is, and this is this will forever be uh, the great irony across these two clubs is the fact that both of them are stacked with equally awesome people. So for every Rusty that there is at uh, Manly, there's similar up the road, you know, for every Teary up at Ringa, there's another one down at Manly. So it's, it's, it's funny when you get actually get into the opposing camp, you go, Oh, these guys are champions. And these, you know, these, these women that work around the club are, are red hot as well. And it's, it was really funny to see that there'd been this, you know, this hatred and this real dislike and disdain for almost an entire lifetime up until I went up there, only to realise that actually they're a really good group. Those rat sides that Shawnee talked about that uh, gave him a bit of a hiding did achieve some success. They did win the Shoot Shield in 2005, but the competition somewhat had a little bit of a caveat on it because it wasn't technically the Premiership, which was the Tui's new cup in that stage, but some silverware for the Ratties. One of the players uh, Shawnee mentioned there, Cameron Trelaw, has been in and around the rugby scene for many, many years. He's a local police officer, but his rugby journey has taken him all over the world. But he keeps coming back to the Manly Ringer vibe and he sees something so special in the derby. They say over in France, they'd always say Argen Bordeaux or Argen Bayon would be the would be the derby. But there's there's two and a half hours between each place and you mm. you don't see or hear from them up until the day you play them, really. So it's not like where we're following every result of that because we know the derby's coming up in four weeks or five weeks or whatever. We're, you just rock up on the day and the supporters think it's a derby, but they they haven't experienced sort of what we have where it's just a, there's just a build up in the back of your mind for weeks on end as you come into that game. Mm. What are some of your earliest recollections um, of the rivalry? Obviously, coming in to, to the Ringer Club and now a stalwart and and, and still a current coach uh, of the side. But some of your earlier memories about the Derby and and what made it special and uh, maybe some of the animosity towards uh, your southern neighbours. Well, my my first my first year was was ninety nine Colts and Manly just they just had a gun gun team. Um, we were undefeated the whole season apart from the games we played against Manly. Um, yeah. So automatically, I didn't I don't think I even understood the the derby at that stage. Other than I hate these guys because they're they're the, they're the only team beating us. Yeah. Um, then as it grew, I, I my first my first first grade derby was. Um, was the year we played at Brookie in yep. 2001. So it was, it was actually a really good experience from us. Mm. And, and um, I got to learn off off the Hernies and the Genos and, and, and those sort of guys just that forget what else has happened this season. This game, this game is it. We're on. And you, you and that week, you don't, you don't even look at where you're standing in the table. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You, you go into that game with a whole new lease of life and zest for footy. When you went into grade, though, uh, ring of that that decade and in and around a lot of the time you played. I know you, you only went to Europe, uh, sort of the mid two thousands. But if you're looking through that that era, it was a, it was a very strong era for Ringer. You know, players like uh, Sam Harris, Manny Edmonds, Brett Sheen, Scott Fardy, and, and later people like Pat McCabe. Um, you ended up winning a shoot shield in two thousand and five. Um, with a little bit of a disclaimer, unfortunately, obviously, uh, a competition's a competition, but uh, it was a strong time for the Rats, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. We just sort of, it, 
it was sort of two good Colts groups coming into the same era. So that we had sort of 90, 98, 99 Colts groups, which was like myself and Sammy Harris and Pearlie and Lippo and, and that sort of group. And then the AJ Wallies and, and the Dan Raymonds and the Brownleys started to come into grade as well. And so by mid-2000s, we had both those Colts groups playing together um, and Hague Sair, guys like that. So we were really lucky in that two strong Colts groups came together and made one good, strong grade group. It's a it's a really important rivalry for, for the community and uh, you've made some good comments on that. Uh, I know with Fox Sports, we, we got interviewed down there at the Oval, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a special thing uh, for rugby in the area and, and more widely the community, isn't it? Oh, it really is. I'm thinking about it today. It's it's so good that people can be so passionate about something and care so much for something. But at the end of the day, it's it's not like a a political rivalry or a religious rivalry or or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's the rivalry lasts up until the first clink of the drinks after a game, and then and then we're fine again. I, I don't know why up until that point we can't be fine, but yeah, we are. Uh, I'm actually glad we're not. It makes it so much more fun and so much more fun for the community. But, mm. you know, we all can be super passionate about it and we all get super disappointed when we lose it. Mm. But we go to the respective clubs after the game, cheers, cheers over a beer, and, and, and then we just wait for the next one. Australian rugby had flirted with the idea of a competition above club rugby, the National Rugby Championship. Unfortunately, as Cameron had outlined, it never really grasped uh, the imagination of the rugby public. And uh, while there might be a gap missing, it just didn't work from a commercial standpoint. But because of that, club rugby somewhat suffered with more players uh, focusing on the next tier. And it wasn't until the late 2010s when club rugby really enjoyed a renaissance. One player from Moringa that uh, rode out that whole decade from 2010 up until the club's first premiership in 2017 was Hamish Angus. The three-time Ken Catchpole winner was part of a group of players that came in the Ring of Rats around 2010, probably towards the lower tier of the competition. By the end of the decade, they were one of the most dominant clubs in the Shoot Shield alongside Sydney University. Interestingly, though, in that decade, Manly enjoyed a very, very strong period. In fact, from 2012 to 2017, the Marlins had won three minor premierships and also made the Shoot Shield Grand Final against Eastwood in 2015. Unfortunately, the Marlins went down to a drop goal in the final minute of that match. This would, though, ensure that the Marlins and the Rats enjoyed some of the best derby games we'd seen in many, many years. Some huge crowds at Manly Oval, even matched by those ones at Rat Park. I talked to Hamish about some of those times. Hamish, your arrival at the Rats probably coincided that early 2010 period, uh, certainly around first grade. Um, At that period... uh, the Manly Marlins, obviously your old foe, had, had, had really started to um, take shape where Ringo was probably starting to uh, find their feet somewhat. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I remember being on the wrong end of a couple of scores down at Manly Oval and used to go down there and the used to be the first game of the, um, of the rivalry of the year and we used to get absolutely towed up, or at least it felt that way. Big physical pack, intimidating, kind of. Kind of an, I was obviously quite young, but it felt like they had an older team or an experienced team and mm. at that stage we were maybe not so much the first couple of years of the 2010-11 um, the but certainly those middle years and early to middle years we were very young and green team and it felt like we were coming up against a probably a team at the other end of the um, 
the other end of this of the cycle and um it was it, it was good in the terms of it was um a bit of a baptism of fire i guess we we learned how how tough the the derbies or the derbies were and um yeah it was it definitely grounded us for for the years ahead and i think you know as many people in the team of the late you know 17 18 19 would say that you know we we learn a lot in those early years and definitely from how to handle the derby and the derby week and and those big games um i think being on the wrong end of some in the early in the early part of that decade helped us out yeah, it really was the tale of uh, two cycles through the sort of 2010s. Obviously, we'll go into a bit more detail around sort of the latter, latter part of the decade. Um, but early on, what were your sort of your feelings and thoughts in and around the Derby and Manly as a club more in general from, from a Ringer viewpoint? Um, I always, I guess, always viewed that, uh, us to Manly as the poor cousin. I think we... At that stage, particularly of, of our cycle, we, we didn't have as many fans. We didn't have as many players. You know, we had guys backing up who'd played fourth grade, who were playing third grade, who potentially were, you know, benching in in twos. And we you'd go down to Manly and it seemed from the outside to have, you know, more – it was the cooler place to play. They won games. They had, yeah. you know, they, they had Manly to go down and have a beer at. Uh, they seemed to have players everywhere. The culture off off the uh, off the field is really strong. Um, not to say that the Raps didn't have some of those things, but I think that at that stage it was definitely a. Um, we were, I think we were the poor brother or the poor cousin. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we. Yeah. I guess that that would be my main takeaway from that early part of of the decade. Do you think a lot of that had to do with winning? Oh, absolutely. I'm a big advocate for, you know. Consistently winning builds culture and it builds atmosphere and it becomes a habit and it becomes an expectation as well. Mm-hmm. And that um, that just continually just breeds and breeds and breeds. And once you get that um, that atmosphere within your playing group, particularly in a club but more, more potently within a playing group, it's contagious and it just keeps going and going and going. And all of a sudden you start winning games you shouldn't be winning or, or dragging games out of nowhere, whereas – Personally, from a you know that ten year period of the rats at the start, we would lose games that were impossible to lose. We'd be up by fifteen points, but mm-hmm. tend to go and lose. Whereas towards the back end, somehow we were finding a way to win those games. Um, yeah, so I think definitely it's it's contagious winning. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a bit of research last decade around uh, winning, and Manly had won. Um, the second most games out of any team all decade, more than uni, behind Eastwood, but not far off. So you're right about how much success they'd sort of had. When obviously those sort of early years, sort of 2010 to 2013, things were sort of, uh, you know, difficult to take on Manly sides of that strength. But I remember when things started to turn, Manly had really good sides in 2014 and, you guys had a, a really good win out at Rat Park, and I think Michael, yeah. Michael Adams scored a try that yeah, was rem- yeah. reminiscent of one of the great French tries, the try from the end of the earth. And I was yeah. watching from the grandstand and uh, was taken aback at the style in which the Rats had played, and it was sort of the first time the Hillbillies started to make themselves known. And uh, I remember walking away from that game in 2014 going, 
shit, something's something's happening up here. You know, I'm uh, a little concerned. <laughs> uh, I think we've like, did, did you look at the Manly games in particular as potentially a benchmark you maybe had to overcome before you started to look at uh, loftier heights in terms of uh, getting to semifinals and and then and then into obviously the Shoot Shield Grand Final. Oh, absolutely. I reminisce about that uh, that that try from Micker in 2014. I think if you ever get David Felcher with a beer, he'll tell you about how he ran down the sideline in front of the can bar and did the show and go. And if you ask him, I think he ran 200 metres that day to score that try. I can't remember. But- Holmes got it away. Felcher and away he goes. We'll have a go. Felcher. Felcher still. Felcher. Holmes. Josh Holmes. They've got numbers here. They must keep it. Two survey. Luke Holmes. Our style of our style of play, we became very expressive, particularly in the back line. We had a potent back back line in that in that um, period. Yep. And we when we when we got the ball, it was pretty much do whatever you want, be expansive, and we got that reputation of that uh, real attacking flair in the back line. I think the bit that was missing for us was was probably a bit of beef up front and a, and a bit of a platform. And once we got that, we really had a um, a springboard to to launch into into finals. But I think to go back to your question, around the preparedness for finals, I think I've said this before, if you, you get to play a derby game twice yeah. a year, that's you know, that's as big as a semi final for any other team. Yeah. You, you know, you get the the, the, the weak build up, you get the um, big crowds, you get back in the day, you get the Manly Daily and, you know, the the hoo ha that goes on with that. You get the yeah. the billboards or the things hanging off um on the spit there, off the bridge, and you know, all that, all that yeah. other stuff, which is so exciting and great for community sport. Um, and that it, it's always, I always think how lucky, looking back on, on a career, how lucky I was to play at a club that had those games. Whereas, you mm. know, be, be, we're incredibly fortunate at both Manly and Ringer that we get that, that game twice a year. Where you know all of a sudden people come out of the woodwork. You get to catch up with old mates. You get to catch up with guys you played against. It's a real special occasion. But but yeah, we're just very fortunate to have. <clears throat> Although we mentioned that game in 2014, um, obviously Manly still very strong. I, I thought our, our strongest year that decade was actually that 2014 year, which is why the the Rats result caught me off guard. Manly go on and make a grand final in 2015 and, and lose uh, via Jai Ayub drop goal, which. Uh, really hurts. Uh, everyone uh, sort of uh, down south on the beaches. But uh, Ringer, by that 2016, had started to catch Manly on the cycle, you would probably say. Uh, finished higher than them on the table that year. I think uh, Greg Maritz did the side to a, a final series with a disappointing uh, first round exit, I think, against Uni that year. I think you might have got a bit of a beat down. But by 2017, um, Darren Coleman had been appointed and even in the preseason, even though Ringer hadn't quite done it yet, there was a real feeling of expectation around that side in 2017, wasn't there? Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, we we made semis in, in 16 with Marzi and got absolutely touched up at Sydney Uni. And I think, um, yeah, obviously, uh, DC came in 17 and we'd... We had a nucleus of a team, as I alluded to before, that had been around for five, six years all playing together, which was a huge benefit for us. 
and we just needed, as I said before, we just needed some some size up front and some, yep. um, a platform. And yep. you know, DC as good a coach as he is. He's an even better recruiter. We found what we needed in guys like Mahe. I think he came the next year, but. Tommy Priest and, and guys like that who just gave – and JT who'd been around a while but really found his straps and gave us that real strong ad line. And Wardy was probably had his best year in 17, 18. And, yeah. you know, we, with that platform, that really got us um, got us moving in the right direction. And then I think, you know, obviously a couple of different things happened that year, but I think, you know, it was – We'd learn our lessons, and and thankfully we um we found a way. We just found a way that year to win. I think, and winning's contagious. And we just we just got the bug, and we just didn't want to lose, and we just wanted that season to go on forever. And we took it the whole way, which was fantastic. It was a funny year because uh, there's a lot of expectation on a ringer, but it was Manly that came out of the blocks uh, like a house on fire. They were, I think, nine and zero heading into the Derby at Manly Oval, and Ringer probably been stuttering a little bit um, and you hadn't won at Manly Oval for 10 years but uh, the game was a drizzly old affair at Manly. Um, did you think the, I mean there's nothing better than a, a top of the table derby but did you think the the derby particularly that year and obviously we met again in the finals but from sort of 17, 18, 19 with the groundswell of support around the community uh, game uh, with, with the grand finals at, at North Sydney Oval etc and and a few other bits and pieces. The derbies had started to go to another level in terms of uh, community uh, engagement. Absolutely, I think um, particularly that seventeen year. Um, I remember that that game. At, I remember all those games. Um, mm. But particularly for us, winning at Manly was massive. As I said before, it was a bit of a graveyard for us. We hadn't won there, as you said, ten years. Mm. And we went down there and we. We didn't play very well, but we managed somehow to. It was a, yeah, it was as you said, it was drizzly old day, and the footy wasn't great. I think you but, might have kicked a goal quite late on for that one, mate. Yeah, yeah you don't forget them as a kicker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a special. That was a special win for us. Um, mm. But I remember more so the semi final down at Rat Park was I've never seen so many people at Rat Park that day, and mm. the um, the two tunnels out onto the field were beyond, like out beyond the middle of the ground. There were, there were massive flags. It was an absolute beautiful day. Yeah. It was just what? It was just – it had club – it was just the the best advertisement for club rugby, mm. huge tribalism, great support, a game played in the, you know, up-tempo game, but also, a, you know, it was it – was, it wasn't. It wasn't all, you know, cup makes. It was. All, it, there was a bit of traditional rivalry in it, but also the fans were great, and there was banter. The hillbillies were going. There was a massive hill support for Manly. It was. It was a ripper of a day, and you know, thankfully, as the as it goes, we we got up and went on to. Mm. Was lucky for us because you know traditionally playing Manly, it's been almost like a grand final, and we'd go up and play a lower ranked team and stumble the next week. So, mm. but yeah, that that was a big game for us.
if you're a manly drop the ball in uh, not maybe allowing the shoot shield a, a derby grand final uh, that year? Oh, a huge, a huge loss. I think, well, North Sydney sold out the next week, but yeah. I think Eastwood lost in the – they finished first and lost to the Woods in that first final, which, uh, yep. you know, obviously that you'd expect them to win that. Mm-hmm. Not that we ever had any luck against the Woods, so I'll leave that. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I guess that could have been, and we're even thinking that in in 2019, um, when I think Uni beat Manly in the semi. Might be getting my years mixed up, but oh, sorry, 2018. Um, the thought of a Derby Grand Final. Wow, like mm-hmm. you might as well move it to either on, at last minute, move it to Manly, or move it to Rats and and or, have a real or Brookie. Crack or Brookie, yeah, yeah pick, pick a spot. You'd fill it out. It'd be. Um, It'd be a great advertisement. Yeah, it was certainly um, an opportunity missed. I like to watch after derby games when the whistle goes, who really gets into the celebrations. I have to say, head and shoulders above, you are the guy that really celebrates a derby win. Why is that? (laughs) Oh, mate. (laughs) Uh, It's quite embarrassing, actually. No, it's not. It's not. It's a bit bit of... for those who know me, I don't carry on very much, or I like to think I don't carry on very much. But mm. when the emotion just pours out, I have, I have zero control about how I react, and it mm. mainly just has jumping up and down and and uh, little propellers with my arms going round and round. Yeah, it's and like and a little uh, crop duster, I would say, yeah, going around in circles. Um, yeah, yeah no, lucky this is a podcast and there's no vision. <laughs> we 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 can arrange that, but uh, no, it's good to see. And as you say, they were they were certainly. Um, some special years, but, but what does the Derby, I mean, just sort of wrapping this up, what does the Derby mean to you? And, and you know, obviously you're now retired, but still heavily involved in uh, the Rats. And uh, obviously both clubs have got such a strong affiliation with their communities. What does it sort of mean to you? And what does it mean for rugby uh, more generally, this 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 rivalry? Oh, I think it's, it's, it's huge for rugby in the area. I think it's, a, first and foremost, it's a showcase of, of two community clubs um, mm. and, you know, what they offer in a community. You know, they, they offer not only entertainment and footy, but they offer a place where people can go and hang out and, and build community and build network and friendships and, and you know, just hang out. Um, I think personally I, when I look back on, on, on derbies, I, I, just, I just see enjoyment. I, 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 see, um, I see my teammates and having fun and now looking from the outside in, I, I, I just see it as a great opportunity to go down to a derby and just bump into people that I haven't seen in a year or so and have a great chat and reminisce and catch up and and share life experiences with these guys who you've you know you've battled with and you know these enemies become great friends and and you um you look back fondly on games and and reminisce together so yeah I think they're very fortunate to to be a part of it. I think that summarises the derby really well, what Hamish says there, and it must be made known uh, the success of his side in 2017, getting that maiden premiership for the club. Uh, really emotion-charged and special day out at North Sydney Oval with even the most ardent of Marlins fans would begrudge their great rivals for an amazing day. As I look back on the last 50 years, I'm sure I share the same thoughts as everyone else uh, that's been involved in this great rivalry that we can only hope Things are as healthy for rugby and indeed uh, the Marlins and the Rats in 50 years' time. And we all look forward to watching on again for the next instalment this weekend. Thanks for listening to Shootcast.
Thank you.